We're in a series called Learning from Roadkill. And uh, we're, this is message number five, so we're smack dab in the middle of this series. It, I was looking forward to it for so long, and now we're halfway through it. And today we're going to be talking about frogs. Frogs. First Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Nowadays, that's, that, that verse right there, usually it, it used to be that it was kind of subtle. You know, it was kind of subtle when Satan attacked. And then it came in roaring. Now, there's no subtlety to it. Now the attacks on our faith, the attacks on us personally, the attacks on the church are no longer subtle. They're out loud and in person. It's incredibly important that in times like these, we rely on what we know and what we've learned and what we've, the, the, the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith like we sang about so much this morning. It's important that we find that, that firm grounding of our faith. And even if, we had, even if we had started to slack off a little bit, maybe this time has brought you back, but maybe it hasn't. Today, talking about frogs, I hope that it brings some challenge and clarity to your life. Some people like frogs. Anybody? Anyway, I got a question. Seriously, I know my brother David. My brother David is three years older than me. I won't tell you who the oldest is and, and because she's sitting in the auditorium, and I don't want to out her, but uh, I'll tell you that I'm not the oldest child in my family. I'm the youngest in the family. I do hold the record in the Chase family for most surgeries, though. So, uh, but my brother David is a, a businessman, and he travels around working for Kronos, and he travels the world and does, does the country and does these things. And he, David's always this, he's, he's the, the daring guy in a lot of areas, and he's tried frog legs. Anybody tried frog legs? I'm sorry, I just can't. I know, Drew, go surprise, surprise, Drew. Drew. I'm sure if you sat down with Drew Brow, owner of Highbrow Restaurant, Drew has tried some stuff. Okay, let's just say stuff. Um, can, you, can you use, um, what's that stuff called? Tofu. Can you use tofu to mimic frog legs? Just wondering, <laughs> just wondering. It's so funny, because we're way off topic right now, but why not, let's go, all right? Drew owns this amazing restaurant, and his, the, he's got so many great things there, and his wife's a vegetarian. Uh, like, uh, vegan, I'm sorry, vegan, vegan, oh. Uh, <laughs> that's just, that's interesting, interesting. But anyway, <sighs> some people love frogs, some people hate them. Little boys love to use frogs to scare girls, right? And little girls love to use frogs to surprise their parents. It's, it's just, a frog is one of those things where you love it or hate it. You, everyone's either seen a frog or heard a frog, right? Frogs are part of the summer evening soundtrack, right? You can hear frogs. We live on the other side of the golf course, and we can still hear frogs. We have a pond, uh, a brook that goes through our neighborhood, and we can still hear the frogs from the big bullfrogs out here on the golf course in the big pond out there. And you know it's summertime when you hear that symphony of frogs. 
The number of frogs killed on the roadway is amazing. Frogs made the roadkill list my top 10, and usually just about every top 10, because worldwide, the number of frogs killed on the roads numbers in the billions every year. Let me give you some frog facts. There are over 5,000 species of frogs in the world. A group of frogs, they, they suddenly became my favorite animal when I read this, because a group of frogs is called an army. Not an Air Force, not a Navy, certainly not a Marine. An army. And that is the name of that tune. Frogs drink water through their skin. Frogs are found on every continent except Antarctica. It's too cold for them there. Each frog species has a unique call. Can you imagine? Let's just stop and appreciate the creation of God for a moment, shall we? There are over 5,000 different species of frogs in this world. Over 5,000 that we know of. And every one of them has a unique call. That's amazing. Just think of God and his creative genius and his, just his creativity to where he would give each and every frog species their own call so that they would know him. It's kind of like mimicking what Jesus says about his sheep, right? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. And that's so cool. It's amazing how God weaves his plan into all of creation. Some frogs can jump up to 20 times their length. That's the equivalent, <laughs> excuse me, that's the equivalent of being able to jump, a human being able to jump over 30 yards. In the wild, a frog can live up to 10 to 12 years. In captivity, they can live up to 20 years. The golden dart frog, now if, if you ever want to see, if, if, if you ever want to see beauty, Google species of frogs, and you will see, there are some, uh, one, one species of frog is called the blue jean frog. That's their nickname, the blue jean frog, because from what would look like the waist down, it's like an indigo. I mean, it's gorgeous, man. It's just a beautiful animal. And there are all kinds of different colors of frogs. Now, the golden dart frog is the most poisonous frog on Earth, and the skin of one frog can kill up to 1,000 people. The reason they have those colors is to make themselves stand out so that predators will know they're there and not attack them. The largest frog in the world is the Goliath frog, which can grow up to 15 inches long, 15 inches long, a frog, and weigh seven pounds. That's like, that's like ordering the family pack of chicken nuggets, right? Seriously. Smallest frog in the world is found in New Guinea, and it grows to just seven millimeters. That's a quarter of an inch. Frogs have great night vision. Frogs are meat eaters. They catch their food with their tongues and swallow it. Now, this is, this is really weird. They swallow their food with help from their eyes. Their eyes are on the top of their head, and what happens is when a frog eats the food, it, it is able to sink its eyes down and push down with its eyes, and it pushes the food through their, th it's really, it's, I'm not gonna lie, it's a little strange, but it's kind of cool, or maybe not. 
And frogs are most active during rainy days and especially rainy nights. And the reason they're so active during the rain and then during the nighttime during the rain is because their skin is dry and they come out, that's why they live in water, their skin is dry. On rainy days and rainy nights, they come out because they can move around much more freely and be much more active because the rain is keeping their skin moist. Now, this was a really, I've researched this for several days, and like I said, I've preached this series before, and I keep the same animals in it, but I, I research it differently, and I don't just rehash an old sermon. And it was really difficult to define the fatal flaw, and that's what we're doing through this series, finding that fatal flaw in this animal that causes them to go on the road. It's really difficult to define that fatal flaw with a frog and the reason why they're killed in such great numbers. <laughs> Some researchers, they watch the frogs and do all kinds of experiments. They do, they take a, 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 like a boom box at night on a road and they'll put it out there with the sound of an oncoming vehicle to see how the, car, how the frogs respond. Or they'll take bright lights, two bright lights to look like the lights of a headlight, and they'll put them out there as the frogs come across the road to see how they respond to that. But some have, have observed frogs from ponds crossing the road, and almost the entire group of frogs is wiped out in one night because they just keep going and going across the road. It's very difficult for me to find that fatal flaw because in my estimation, it's not really definable by their habits or their abilities. Yes, they go onto the roads to eat the easy, easy pickings of the, the worms that come out at night and the insects that come out during the rain. But sometimes they cross the road to get to another pond. But that too isn't really a good reason for them since they are in suitable places for their needs. They're already in a pond that they don't travel very far from their home. Yes, the road provides some warmth for them, but that's not a compelling reason as well because they can go back in the water and be where they need to be. But I found something as I was reading that really Kind of, kind of jumped out at me. And it's this. Frogs go out onto the road at night on a wet, wet, rainy night just because they like to jump around. Researchers have studied the frogs during nighttime when they're out, during rainy nights when they're out the most, and they said it seems as if the frogs are playing on the road. I mean, that goes against basic human instinct, right? Basic parental, parental instinct, because we tell our kids, what? Don't go out and play in the road unless they're really getting on your nerves, and then you tell them to. You might. I don't tell my boys to go and play in traffic. But, um, <clears throat> but he, they talked about the frogs, and they say it seems like they get onto the road just to play on the road. And I thought that was very, that, that was it. <laughs> that was it. But how do, you how do you put that into a sermon? How do you define that? Well, 
It leads me to this conclusion. Frogs die in the road because of their frivolous activities. And so today, we're going to be talking about the frivolous frog. Being on the road isn't where they were designed to be. Hunting on the road isn't where their gifts are best used. And playing on the road puts them in immense danger. In short, the frog has no good reason to be on a road. There's nothing there that he can't find in his natural habitat. In the pond where he is, there's nothing there. There's nothing on the road that he can't find where he's supposed to live. It's, the frivol it's a frivolous action. It lacks any serious purpose. Understand some, some animals, they cross those roads because they have to, right? That's, that's where, that's their normal migratory pattern and things like that. <clears throat> the frog has no serious purpose, no real reason, no serious purpose for being on the road. I believe that there are many Christians who are just like the frivolous frog. They involve themselves in actions and activities that are not designed for followers of Jesus. They spend much of their time in things that don't use the spiritual gifts that they've been blessed with. By their choices, they place themselves in great danger. Danger that is as easily avoidable as a frog not going into the street. Just think of that. If the frog would just stay where he's designed to stay, if he would just do what he's designed to do, if he would be where God has placed him, where God has blessed him with everything he needs, the frog would survive. And he'd live out those 10 to 12 years that he's been created to live out. We as Christians, especially during this time, many followers of Jesus are placing themselves in grave danger. We're putting ourselves in positions we shouldn't be in. And we're avoiding the very place. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. Why, when we need him most, Christians are abandoning the church and abandoning their faith. I don't understand it. But I'll tell you what. I'm dealing with a lot of people who were scared to death. Osvaldo gave a devotion on Wednesday night about um, <laughs> suicide. Sorry, it just bl my mind blanked there for a minute. Because, why? Because we're seeing that. We may not see people taking their own lives yet, but we're seeing amazing symptoms and we're seeing amazing signs and we're seeing amazing uh, issues arise. They're magnified. Why is it? Because we're frivolous frogs. Because we're going where we shouldn't be going. Because we're abandoning our place of safety. Aaron and I, Aaron was talking to me and we, this week has been kind of a, uh, just a, I don't know how to describe it. Like the air is being let out of the balloon and you're just kind of feeling, whew, like the air is just being taken out because it's been a long, a long summer. You know, we really didn't have a summer with Erin spending, uh, she took her vacation in the hospital. Uh, and then jumping right back into school and getting the boys ready and uh, having school at home. And it's just been a week of, whew. And 
we talked about it. I said, you know, maybe this is the time where we claim Psalm 23. He leads me beside calm waters, and he restores my soul. What hap what's happening with a lot of believers right now, maybe you're one of them, maybe you're watching us on Facebook, and, and you're feeling that struggle, is that you've become disconnected, and the reason we never shut down here is because we didn't want people to become disconnected, because there always needed to be a connection with your church because that's the way we've been designed. That's the way Jesus set it up. He said, I will build my church. My church is my people that can come together and support each other and help each other. One of the greatest things I see in our church is people lifting each other up and, and checking on each other and helping each other out. But it's gotten to the point where many Christians have just walked away and let their faith slip and they've lost the grip on faith. Now, Jesus has never lost his grip on you. The Bible tells us he'll never let you go. But you're doing your dead level best to let go of him. That's a tough place to be. That's a difficult place to be because when you let go of your faith and you walk away from your faith, now you're getting into frivolous activities. And frivolous, we'll give you the definition here in just a minute. Frivolous doesn't just mean you go on a spending spree. Frivolous is, the definition of frivolous is without purpose. And Christians are now doing things that are without purpose. We're getting involved in, <laughs> we're, getting, we're getting involved in the politics of the day. I always, I always try to check myself before I go down this road because it's one of those things, like I said last week, you either have to pucker or duck when you start talking politics. I'm not going to talk politics. That's not my point. What I'm saying is this. We get distracted by things like that. And we're so, we're, how many believers do you know that say, man, America better get back on her knees and confess her. America's not, America's not a Christian nation. It's never been a Christian nation, okay? America is a nation of Christians. There's a big difference. It's a big difference. We have a lot, we claim 75% of Americans claim the Christian faith, but 75% of Americans don't believe what the Bible has to say as far as eternal life and accepting Jesus as your savior. America is a nation of Christians, so we don't have to get back to our Christians. And what would happen, let's just think about this, let's go down this road for a second. So what? So what we have a moral nation? Big deal. Does morality save you? Does morality get you to heaven? No. Some of the nicest people in the world will spend eternity in hell separated from God. Some of the most moral people in the world will spend eternity in hell separated from God. So we're being distracted by worrying about things that, I'm not going to say they don't matter, but they don't have the eternal value that your faith does. There's a big difference. There's a big difference. I'm not saying don't be a good citizen. I'm not saying don't get involved and don't vote. I think we all should vote. I'm not going to tell you who I'm going to vote for. At this point, I wish, i got to be honest, I wish Clayton Kershaw was 35 years old because I'd write his name in. <laughs> wish Jackie Robinson was alive, I'd write him in. It's tough, but that's not the salvation of America. That's not the salvation of the world. Jesus Christ is, and we've been left here, and we've been charged and tasked with living our faith in such a way as to reach people and show them a difference. My goodness, is there any more time in the history of your life or any of our lives 
where it is so definable as to who has faith and who doesn't, as to who has peace and who doesn't. We are supposed to be the light in the darkness, and right now it's dark. Are we being the light? I would, I would, I would say that we're struggling with that. The lamp is flickering on the church in America right now because we're getting caught up in frivolous things. Frivolous, the definition of frivolous is not having any serious purpose. Overconfident, daring. Frivolous faith means that there's not much there there. When we talk about frivolous faith and, what, faith and what we're talking about this morning is frivolous faith, when we talk about frivolous faith, what I'm saying is there's not much there, there. <laughs> there's not much faith there. There's not much proof there. There's not much strength there. And for yourself, there's not much anchor there. Some believers, and maybe you're in danger of it, and maybe you're already there, are drifting along on the sea of life, if you will, and their anchor, they, they, they're, they're doing their dead-level best to get rid of the anchor of Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to look at the dangers of living a frivolous faith and then the benefits of having a firm, effective faith. Yeah, I, believe, I believe in my heart, I believe that there is grave danger for followers of Jesus. Grave danger, not for your physical life. That's not my call. That's not up to me. I believe there's grave danger for your walk and effectiveness as a follower of Jesus, and that is what our life is supposed to be about. There is grave danger for your walk and effectiveness as a believer when you are down to a frivolous faith. Let me give you a few dangers of living with a frivolous faith. The first one is this. It's senseless. A frivolous faith is senseless, and I don't mean uh, it, it's senseless to have it because it doesn't do you any good. But secondly, I believe that those who have a frivolous faith look at their faith as senseless. Service and sacrifice seem senseless. What in the world do I have to go to church for? Oh, wait, no, I know. I can worship in my, it always starts this way, man. I can worship in my home as easily as I can worship in a church. All right, I'm not going to play around with this anymore. I'm just going to tell you straight up, no, you can't. You can't. You just can't. You cannot do it. Well, that's pretty bold of you. Uh, who are you? You don't even have your doctorate. I mean, come on. Okay, well, let's sit down and talk about it in the Bible. Jesus says it's important for you to be together with your church family. Point blank and period. What do you have? What biblical evidence do you have that says, I can worship at Bedside Baptist as well as I can worship in church? You don't have any. That's the fact of the matter. You need your church family. I need my church family. We need that connection. We were designed that way. The ministry of the church that Jesus laid out for us is designed. Why do you think the epistles, the letters that Paul and John and Peter and wrote to us, why do you think they're written to churches? Because we're supposed to be connected. Yet a frivolous faith 
for a believer says that's all senseless. I don't need that. The things of God seem burdensome and foolish. Following God's rules, quotes, makes no sense to a frivolous Christian. By the way, seeing God's way of living as rules and burdensome is a sign of a frivolous faith. It's dangerous. I, I, uh, I went to a Christian high school. There were a lot of rules, man, a lot of rules. And I'll tell you what, you could be a, an ideal student of Hartford Christian Academy if you followed the rules. But if that's all you did was follow the rules, then you were not an ideal Christian. Now, I, I was a little bit different. I'm a very laid back guy. If you know me at all, I'm very laid back. Nothing really bothers me too much. And I go along a lot of times just to go along because it really isn't that important to me that to be in charge of things, uh, I'll, I'll just go along with people and, and, and help out. I, I approached my time in high school that way. I just went along with the rules until those rules started grating on my spirit, not on my mind, not on my heart, not on my person, on my spirit. Because I was starting to learn and grow and develop in my faith as a young man. And what I was hearing, well, not that the rules were wrong, but the purpose behind those rules was wrong. And I started challenging that. It didn't make me a popular guy with the principal and the other administration because I would question why. One was the, the overriding rule was the rules we have in school are rules that have to be effective in your home. So I asked them one day, I said, so you're telling me my dad, who is a pastor, a godly man, my hero in life, the man that is my father and my mother, who have taught me and raised me, they're, the way they run their home is not good enough. We have to follow your rules in our home. And they said, yes. And I said, you're wrong. Okay. 18-year-old punk kid telling a school administration they're wrong. But I, I believe that. I, why? Because... It mattered to me in my life, in my spirit. I didn't want to be a surface Christian. I could have gone along, and you, could go, you can go along, and you can follow the rules. But if you start seeing the rules, as you start seeing God's leadership and God's commands in your life as being rules and burdensome, now your faith is in danger of becoming frivolous. Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 say, I know your works, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. A lot of lukewarm Christianity going on right now. A lot of people who, and it's going to, only going to get worse. Listen, folks, I pray and I, I, I get emails uh, from different groups, uh, Voice of the Martyrs. If you, want to, if you want to learn what's going on in the world, man, go on Voice of the Martyrs, vom.com, and you'll learn that there are levels of persecution and we are not being persecuted nearly as much as other, other countries and Christians in other nations. I mean, they're burning entire villages down in some countries in Africa because there are Christians there. But I'll tell you, if you, and this is, once again, this is my personal, absolute belief. If you don't believe what's going on with the church right now and the government, the government telling us we can't do, do you realize, I'll say it again, I said it last week or the week before, they're trying to tell Christians they can't sing in church. 
Folks, if you don't think that, no, that's not taking you out and whipping you with a cat of nine tails. That's not nailing you to a cross, but that's telling you you can't, you can't live your faith the way you're commanded to live. So yes, I believe that falls under persecution. And if we allow that to, if we, and we are, man, so many churches, we, we got hammered. We, people got hammered for, for staying open and saying we should have church. Oh, you just, the Bible says love your neighbor. No, the, God's, the Bible says honor your father first. Okay? Honoring God first. Oh, you don't love your neighbor. Stop with the foolish. Stop with the straw man arguments, okay? Yes, I do love my neighbor. My whole life is giving, is given to serving God and reaching people with the gospel. So don't come around with your weak arguments of not loving your neighbor. The Bible says to love God first. And then he will show you where he wants you to go. And when they come and tell us we can't do things that the Bible says we have to do, then we, and if we, if we go, then they're wrong, and if we go along with them, we're wrong. Our faith becomes lukewarm because our faith is not important enough to us. Read Hebrews chapter 11. They considered their life not precious. They didn't consider their life as a thing precious to hold on to because they wanted to honor God more than that. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Now I know the initial, the, the primary application of this passage is about the unsaved. But if you listen and read this, the Bible has primary applications and then it has secondary applications. You can draw principles from it to apply it to other areas of life. That's what we do with the Old Testament. We're not living under the law, but the, many parts of the law can be very applicable to our lives. Uh, the Ten Commandments, we, you know, thou shalt not steal. You know, that's, that's something that uh, we can use. But here in Romans chapter 1, we find some verses that are written in the first place. They're written to the lost, but we can take something more out of it for ourselves. For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood uh, through what he has made. We are, uh, come on, man, look around. This is fall. This is New England, right? New England, fall is New England. There's no place in the world I don't, I've been to a lot of different places, and I've never seen the beauty of God's creation in the fall as I've seen here in New England. I know a lot of places have color. We have color, but it's like somebody just flips a switch and it's electric. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And that shows me the amazing creative, creative ability and love of God for humanity. You know, he says, uh, beautiful in the eyes of God are the death of his saints. What, why are leaves changing colors? Because they're dying. See, even in God's creation, he's showing us how he feels about the end, because when we, when our physical life is over, we get to be, if we've accepted Christ as our Savior, we get to be in the presence of God. So he sees our, the end of our physical lives as a beautiful thing because he's now reunited. That's why his son died. And man, we see the death, the end of the life of a leaf, and it's amazingly beautiful. He goes on and says, as a result, people are without excuse. For, they knew, for though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. We're seeing an entire generation of Christians raised in the church following those words. 
their thinking has become senseless. Their hearts are becoming dark. They're leaving the church in droves. And they're hanging on to science. For me, science proves God. It doesn't disprove God. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, and I must hurry. But know this, hard times will come in the last days, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid these people. And that is today, that is today's society. Bible tells us in the end times, this is what it's going to look like. The sad truth is that a lot of followers of Jesus with a frivolous faith fall right into this category. Frivolous faith is senseless. The second thing, and by the way, we're obviously, I'm already, my, we've got a, if you look back, you can see the screen there, and the red means that, oops, Right? Yeah, we're already in the red. Jonathan is panicking back there. He's like, how do I stop? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so we're obviously not going to finish this sermon today because I've got two more points on the frivolous side and then we've got the entire other side. So the frog is going to be a two-week sermon. How about that? Ribbit. <laughs> the second thing is this. A frivolous faith is irresponsible. It's irresponsible. And irresponsible discipleship leads to false beliefs. It's not, it's not just irresponsible to have a frivolous faith. It's an irresponsible way to protect your faith or to live your faith or to grow your faith. It's irresponsible. Why? Because we are all in discipleship. You know, we, make, we, we call our, our new believers uh, program discipleship, right? We have a discipleship program we take us there. But the fact of the matter is we're all in discipleship. If you're learning and growing in your faith, we're always in discipleship. I sit down and talk with my father, and my father disciples me in certain things. I talk with other pastors or other people, and they disciple me. There are some times where my sons, my, my two nine-year-old sons disciple me. My wife and I sit and we talk for an hour or so in the morning and, and we talk about the things of God and the Bible, and that's discipleship because we're learning and growing, both of us. So we're always being discipled. The question is, are you being responsible with your discipleship or irresponsible? Because frivolous faith leads to irresponsible Discipleship and irresponsible discipleship leads to false beliefs. We're talking about that on our Tuesday night Bible study online, right? Talk about that a lot. How Paul warned the Galatians about the Judaizers who came in and were, were, were trying to destroy their faith. Man, they're all over right now. There are quote unquote Judaizers throughout the church, throughout the world, trying to destroy our faith and tear it down from what it's supposed to be. Frivolous faith leads to irresponsible discipleship, which leads to false beliefs. Proverbs 25, 26 says, A righteous person who yields to the wicked is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. Point blank and personal. A righteous person who gives in, who yields to, who follows, who falls in line with, who 
justifies those wicked people. Those people, and the wicked people here he's talking about are those who don't follow Jesus Christ, those who attack the Bible. A righteous person who doesn't stand up for their faith is like a muddied spring or a polluted well. You're irresponsible with your discipleship. You're not pouring into yourself the word of God. You're allowing the filth, the dirty water of the world to be poured into you. That's why people, people ask me all the time, you know, they, Aaron's been asked the question, why aren't your kids in Christian school? Um, and I've been asked, why, why do I not push Christian colleges more <clears throat> than I do? Because <clears throat> I believe in the local church. And I believe, first of all, my sons, pe people say, oh, you know, I, my, my comeback is those children in the, in the public schools need to hear about Jesus. Well, they say, well, but my kids shouldn't be, have my, my kids, I don't want to sacrifice my kids. Who's sacrificing your kids? Listen, I am a thorn in the flesh of the East Long Meadow public school system. I'm old, I'm cranky, my foot hurts all the time. I'm the perfect person to twist that nail in your side. Oh, you know why? Because I'm not going to let you pollute my son's minds without me letting you know. They, they tried certain things, and I, I wrote them. And they wrote back, well, that wasn't our intention, but that's how it came across. I don't care. You might be cleaning your gun, and if the, if the gun goes off and shoots somebody, that wasn't your intention, but that's what happened. So stop. I, I sent an email off to the, the superintendent of schools a week and a half ago, because they, they, my wife brought it to my attention that the East Long Meadow Public Schools calendar, the official calendar for the school year, had every holiday on it, every religious holiday on it, except Christmas and Easter. I said, wow. Here we go. <laughs> Iron Man. So I wrote him an email, and I wasn't, I wasn't, I was kind, I was, um, tried to do it in a loving way, I tried to be tactful about it, but I put it straight up and said, listen, man, if you want to, if you, I'm all for inclusivity, that's fine. If you want to be inclusive, I don't care, that's fine. That's just fine. Listen, we're going to be teaching our boys about three, do you guys do Three Kings Day in Brazil? Three Kings Day, probably not then, it's probably just a, a kind of a Puerto Rican Latino thing. It's, what is it, like two weeks after Christmas that um, the three kings, right, Cliff? Do you guys do it in Panama, Three Kings Day? My son's being Puerto Rican. We're going to um, talk about and explain Three Kings Day to them. Nothing wrong with that. And I'll explain to them about Ramadan and about all these things. There's no, I got no problem with that at all. The Bible says I'm supposed to be able to give an answer to everyone that asks a question. But when you intentionally, and, and he says, oh, it was an oversight, because he called me the next morning. He got my email and he called me. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. Phone call from the superintendent of schools. And we talked for a long time, nice guy, nice guy. And he said, you know, it was just an oversight. Okay. I said, what I wrote in the email was, it smacks of an agenda. 
when you include everything else except Christmas and Easter. And I'll give him that, that's fine. He may not have the agenda, but I know my town, somebody does. Within an hour, Christmas and Easter, we're back, we're on the calendar, okay? So that to me was being salt and light. I was standing up for my faith and my boys, and I, I, I laid it out there because I've been very transparent about what my sons have had, what Aaron and my sons have had to go through in this town with the racial discrimination and the ugliness, okay? And I said, listen, my boys have been called all kinds of things in your schools. So they're facing discrimination just because of their skin color. And now you're trying to discriminate against them for being Christians? I, yeah, I, I pulled that, I played that card. Okay, no doubt about it, I played that card. And I meant every word of it. So, I believe that it's incredibly possible. The Bible says be in the world, not of the world. I don't have to accept the filthy water from the world coming into my life. It's there, I know it's there, I'm aware that it's there, but I don't have to accept it into my life. I don't have to drink their Kool-Aid. But I am called to stand, and that's why our sons go to the schools they go to, because we're teaching them in, at home and in church. I have an awesome children's director in our church who's teaching the Bible to our kids and preparing them to go out to the world and stand for their faith. That's why I'm for that. I believe that it's possible for Christian kids to go to a state college and not be drawn to, it's tough, no doubt about it, but if we do our job as parents and we do our job as a church, we can prepare them for what's ahead and give them the courage to stand in their beliefs. I believe it's very, very possible. We don't have to be dragged down and be irresponsible with our, our discipleship and our faith. Colossians 2.8 says, Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. And the third danger of a frivolous faith is this. It's superficial. A frivolous faith is superficial. And superficial worship leads to shallow passion. Did you get that? Superficial worship leads to shallow passion. It's experiential. I love being a man. Aaron and I went to a concert a couple years ago. Um, I forget what it was called, but it was Third Day and Stephen Curtis Chapman together. Whew. Wow, that was amazing. Third Day. What do they say? The third day was my is my jam. Is that a, that <laughs> it doesn't work for me, right? Third day is my. I, I love third day. I love their music. I love their style. I love everything about them. I wish they never would have broken up. I wish they were still Mac Powell. If you're listening to me, get the band back together. Okay. Love Stephen Curtis Chapman. Love his music. Man's been consistent through his life. And in going to a concert, it's a very it's a, a, a very great time of worship and it's an amazing experience. But if that's where it stays at that concert, then all our faith is is an experiential faith and our worship is, is surface and be, it leads to shallow faith. 
and it's only there during the experiences. And we go from experience to experience, and we need a mountaintop all the time, or we're not going to be able to stay faithful. What's the danger of superficial faith? <laughs> Times like now, when you don't have those experiences to rely on. You can't go from experience to experience now. You need to, you need to have that anchor of your soul that keeps you close to God. John chapter 6 is one of the most heartbreaking yet encouraging in a very uh, difficult way passages of scripture in the Bible. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about what it takes to be his disciple. And it's the passage where he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have none of me. And they didn't understand, is he going, and this is where the Catholic Church gets a transubstantiation from, that the, 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 the bread becomes the literal body of Jesus and the, 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 uh, the wine becomes the literal blood of Jesus. That's not what Jesus was saying here. Jesus was saying, unless, unless you take on my life, unless you accept me into your life and you take on my life, you're not going to be able to follow me. Unless you take on, that's why he said so many times, take my burden upon you. Take up your cross and follow me. He wasn't saying, take communion and everything's cool. He wasn't saying, get baptized and everything's cool. He wasn't even saying, accept me as your personal savior and everything's cool. That's the beginning. That's secure as eternal life, but you still have a physical life to live. And after he says that, John chapter 6, we're going to read verses 61, 64, and 66. It says, Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, asked them, does this offend you? goes on in verse 64, but there are some among you who don't believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe in the one who would betray him. And after all of this, after Jesus taught, after Jesus shared, after Jesus opened up the teaching to them, Jesus himself, man, remember, and this is where the encouraging part comes in, Ben, I'm, I gotta be honest, because people walk away from church all the time. We have people walk away from faith. And you can look at yourself and say, what am I doing wrong? Where am I failing? How am I not being a good enough leader? What is it that within me that's causing this? And then I come to John chapter 6, and I'm not take, trying to take any blame away from leadership. Don't get me wrong. Leadership has to be held accountable, and if leadership screws up, leadership screws up, and it's on them. But if you're serving and doing what God has called you to do and people still walk away... That's on them. Look at John chapter 6, verse 66. It says, From that moment, many, many of the disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Why? Because he said, this life is a tough life to live, folks. This is a sacrificial life to live. This is a life that is not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about reaching others. And you could be so concerned and say, you know what the biggest thing is? My, I'm not being fed. Okay, well, do you come to church hungry? Oh, my children are not getting anything out of it. Well, first of all, don't rely on the church to raise your children, kids in a Christian faith. Maybe they should be getting that at home. 
<clears throat> but secondly, how do you know? And if you need bells and whistles in a children's ministry to get your kids to grow in their faith, then you're going to need bells and whistles their entire life, and it's only going to be experiential. I know this. You bring your kids. You're watching us on Facebook. I'll, no, I'll tell you this. You come to our 1030 service and bring your kids. Your kids are going to get filled with the Word of God. Now, they're not going to dance around and sing and, and, uh, and you know, swing from the chandeliers and all that stuff. They're going to be taught the Word of God. And that's what's important. But see, when you, when you get to, when your faith is superficial, when you're called to stand for your faith, there's nothing there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 says, Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Superficial faith leads to superficial worship and shallow passion. There's danger in a frivolous faith. But Jesus wants you to live with a passionate faith. How do you know that you're living life with a passionate faith? Come back next Sunday. And we'll find out, all right? Thanks for being here. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to be here today to worship you, God. We worshiped you this morning. It was so beautiful. And to look into your word and to learn, to grow. God, I pray that our, our desire will be to be passionate about our faith for you. Lord, I know many people are struggling right now, God, struggling in faith, struggling with a frivolous faith that, that is, is just dragging, trying to drag us away. God, you know. And I pray that you'll give us the power, give us the strength, give us the courage to stand for you. We love you, Lord. We thank you that uh, you allowed us to be here today. Thank you for all those who are here, all those who are watching us on Facebook. And God, may we go from this place today passionate about you, passionate about living for you. We pray for the 1030 service coming up, Lord. A new group is going to be here. A new group is going to be watching.